0: Coronavirus NZ, a Stuff podcast. Oh, jeez. Oh, no, 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 no. What's up? Just got an email from Stuff's Auckland offices.
1: Oh, yeah, I got that one too. We'll have to go in and pick that thing up from reception. I know. We have to go into the office. Driving, lifts, colleagues, doors. I don't think I'm ready. All right. Anyway, welcome to Coronavirus NZ for Thursday
0: the 4th of June. I'm Adam Dudding. And I'm Eugene Bingham. Twice a week on Tuesdays and Thursdays we cover the news and a bit of quirk about Level 2 life. And then we slow it down to focus on one particular aspect.
1: Interesting news out of Sweden overnight where, of course, they took a very different path to many other countries and were very liberal in their restrictions. The country's top epidemiologist, Anders Tegnell, has given a radio interview in which he admitted for the first time that more should have been done. It's not exactly a full-blown mea culpa, but he did say if we were to encounter the same illness with the same knowledge that we have today, I think our response would land somewhere in between what Sweden did and what the rest of the world has done. He said that there have been too many deaths at 43 per 100,000. It's among the highest rate in the world and far greater than in neighbouring countries like Denmark and Norway, which took a more conservative path.
0: You wonder what officials in other countries like Denmark and Norway and New Zealand, for that matter, are thinking right now, don't you? I'm sure there's absolutely no joy in it. It's a grim thing and it's horrible what's happened over there, but I wonder...
1: Later on the show, Stuff senior reporter Tom Hunt looks into why two film crews got special permission to cross our closed border and why other people didn't. But first, here's what's happening.
0: The 13th day, it turns out, was not unlucky. Still no new cases today. The 13th, zero in a row and only one active case remaining.
1: Level 1 and the return of large-scale gatherings are just around the corner, but we're still seeing the cancellation of some major events. Field Days 2020, that's the largest agricultural event in the Southern Hemisphere, will be online only this year. Tricky though, you can't kick the tyres of a tractor online,
0: can you? Or a ute. Border restrictions are about to get tougher with mandatory tests for all arrivals, possibly from next week. Remember, that's something that Coronavirus NZ listener Alison Perkins was asking about a few weeks ago. Anyway, there are also going to be new rules for aircrew and cargo ships as New Zealand really prepares to prevent any sliver of the virus getting through the border. So Adam, you know how the other day I said I didn't want to keep banging on about the government's contact tracing app and wondering if it was an effective contact tracing system after all?
1: Yes, I recall this event.
0: And I said I was going to stop going on about it.
1: Yep. But let me guess.
0: Well, I'm not. But this time, at least, we can talk to a proper journalist who has actually done some reporting and found out what's going on. Stuff's Brittany Duguara has been digging into the situation, and she's on the line now. Kia ora, Brittany.
2: Kia ora. How's it going, guys?
0: Good, thank you. Very well. So, first of all, Brittany, can you just remind us how the app works?
2: Yeah, so it's just like any other app. You need to download it from, you know, your... Play Store or App Store and just register. So it's going through all the the facts and figures, putting in your email address, address, phone number, all the bits and bobs. And then wherever you go, if they have the relevant QR code for the Ministry of Health official app, then you can just check in, check out when you go. But the requirement is that the businesses need to have created and printed out this poster with the QR code in it. So that's a bit of a... A hurdle I think that's coming up at the moment.
0: Right. So so there's two parts to it. There's the user, if you like, who downloads the app and then there's a business that actually downloads the QR code on a poster. And you've got some figures. What do they show?
2: Exactly. Yeah. So since the app was launched on May 20 and as of yesterday, June 3, 487,000 registrations have been recorded. Now that's Quite a significant number, I guess, when you look at it. It's an increase of 19,000 from the start of the month in just three days. So looking good from that front. But in terms of how many people have actually used the app and scanned it, the Ministry of Health revealed that there's been 496,110 QR codes scanned in that time. So that's about 15 days, which again, you know, quite an impressive number. But when you break it down... That's about one scan per user in the whole time, which doesn't Mm. seem that impressive.
0: So it seems plenty of people are keen to download the app and, you know, they're keen to register and give their details and want to use it. But the number of scans suggests they're not using it. What's the story?
2: Yes. So, you know, I had a look at what happened when the app was launched, you know, what academics came out criticizing and praising it. And I thought, well, if they've promoted this app and thought it was a great idea. Let's see what they think about it now with these figures. So, Dr. Andrew Chen from the University of Auckland Centre for Informed Futures, he was thinking that the issue is with businesses rather than users. So, it's not a matter of, you know, users being lazy and not scanning it. Instead, it's Businesses actually not displaying or creating in the first place the QR codes. So it seems to be there's a bit of a disconnect with the two groups. I also ha- had a chat to Professor Dave Parry, who's from the uh, Auckland University of Technology. He's the head of department for computer science there. So, you know, I had a chat to him about his use. And of course, like almost half a million of us, he's downloaded the app but he's only been able to use it four times. So a lot of the places he's visited didn't even have the QR code to scan in the first place. So I think that's becoming the biggest issue at the moment is the lack of QR codes visible. Now, the... Ministry of Health had said MB at the start when it was launched, they were reaching out to about eight hundred thousand eligible businesses about creating the code and displaying it. But since then, only about twenty-nine thousand posters have been created by seventeen thousand businesses. So, you know, it's it's not that many when you think about it.
0: Yeah. So it's it's the the take up from businesses that seems to be where the problem is. So Did Dave or Andrew have any theories about why there aren't more posters around?
2: Yeah, so Professor Dave, he suggested it might be because the government approved app doesn't actually fulfill the needs and requirements of businesses at the time. So in Alert Level 2, and it will be the same in Alert Level 1, I'm assuming, that businesses are required to keep track of who's coming in and out of their establishments, you know, what time, their contact details. And this app doesn't actually do that for them. So, they are still needing to capture all that data as well as provide this app. So, some have opted for other apps like Ripple or other check-in websites. And that's, I think, one of the main reasons, you know, Professor Parry, he, he just thought it wasn't really aligning with their needs and requirements at this time. And they just many didn't think it was necessary for them to go through all the all the hoopla of getting it all sorted, and even the Ministry of health's make they've made it easier for businesses to get the QR code. So I guess that's kind of an indication that it was quite difficult and time consuming and grueling for them to do so off the bat. So it's just looking like it's too much of a hassle. It's no real benefit for them, so why do it?
0: Right. But is this is this something that's going to sort of die away? I mean, as we move into level one, how important is it that the whole digital diary tracing app system is sorted out?
2: Well, yesterday, on Wednesday, Prime Minister Jacinda Ardern said it's one of the golden rules. You know, Kiwis have to know where they're going, who they're going with, and businesses need to keep this track of customers. So, Contact tracing will still be a big requirement, but Dr. Chen said the app's a preventative measure, not a reactionary one. And with that, there's a lack of motivation. You know, people aren't thinking, oh, well, just in case cases pop up, I'll do this. I guess that makes sense because, you know, why, if you're just popping to the shop to for a a coffee or something, are you going to think, oh, I'll just quickly log this in? It's an extra an extra task for you to do, it doesn't really have much benefit for you in the short term. So because of that, you know, Professor Parry is estimating that drop-off in usage is going to be quite large when we move to level one.
1: Uh, The important question, though, is have you downloaded and used it yourself?
2: I have downloaded it. I wouldn't say I'm a regular user. I was using it at first and then every next couple of days, the places I went didn't have the code. I had to download Ripple. I had to go through other websites. It honestly became a bit overwhelming and I haven't used it since, I will admit. I'm not as good as the prime minister in her use of it, I don't think.
0: (laughs) And we're finding exactly the same. We're just going to places and it's not there. And so you forget to use it, don't you? But thanks so much for joining us, Brittany.
2: Great. Thank you so much, guys.
0: In the early days
1: of this podcast, we interviewed a couple of Kiwis who'd actually caught COVID-19, who'd put up with the hacking cough and the swabs up the nose, and in the case of Janine Cross and some time in hospital. And of course, 22 people have died now the New Zealand story of the coronavirus has mostly moved to the next phase past the sickness and we hope the death very soon we'll be able to go where we want and hug who we want and exchange as much spittle as we want with strangers as long as we make a note in our diaries about the time and place that we exchange that spittle. So now the focus is about what comes next economic pain and economic recovery job losses and new jobs how to reinvent tourism and air travel and all that. And there's a piece that ran on stuff this morning by Waikato reporter Philippa Yeldon, which I thought kind of crystallised that transition we're going through from a health story to an economic story. And it's all through the eyes of this guy in Hamilton by the name of Dave Orr. So Dave is 61, and for the past 12 years, he's been building up a business running shuttles to Auckland and Hamilton airports. And by last year, it had grown to around 34 drivers and half a dozen office staff. So first, the health story from mid-April to mid-May. Dave was flat on his back with COVID-19, which he most likely picked up while waiting for passengers at the Auckland International Terminal. He got really sick, and so did his wife Heather. She even ended up in hospital for a few days. They were out of action for almost a month. And the economic story? Well, obviously COVID-19 totally monstered the OARS business. They're taking people to and from airports. He, He told Philippa Yaldon... Overnight, we lost 100% of the business. He took a wage subsidy for the staff, but after looking at the months and years ahead, they concluded there was no way this business could survive in the long term. So last week, the company went into voluntary liquidation. All those jobs for drivers and office staff gone, they're selling the shuttle vans. As Dave put it, all the equity is gone. Nine years of hard slog gone, just like that. I'm 61 years old, who's going to employ me? The story then zooms out to look at some of the stats around the economic hit, including a projection of up to 250,000 job losses over the next two years. So, yeah, this is a pretty grim read, but I just thought Philippa did a brilliant job of putting a human face to those health and economic statistics. It's also quite a moving account of a couple who have experienced a dreadful COVID-19 double whammy, a virus that first attacks your body and then has a crack at your wallet as well. And it's a reminder, too, that even at a time when we've had 13 days of no new cases, there's still such a long way to go with this coronavirus.
0: It's interesting that with a bit of time having elapsed since that first firestorm began back in January, really, wasn't it? We're seeing some of those first draft of history pieces where journalists have time to go back and interview people involved in the initial response and kind of sift through some of the wreckage. The New York Times threw seven reporters, seven, at an investigation into the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, the the famous CDC that we always hear about. It's the US agency whose job it is to take on exactly the threat that coronavirus was and is. And what these journalists have found is that there were these missteps and stumbles that hampered the response. For instance, and stop me if you've heard this before, there were problems with the system of tracing people who were quite possibly carrying the disease. The main problem lay with records gathered at the airports. You know, those forms you fill out when you arrive in a country. It was riddled with duplicate records, bad phone numbers and incomplete addresses so that officials were left scrambling to find people.
1: They needed Aisha Viral on the case. Exactly. One of the other details in the New York Times investigation which caught my attention was how the Trump administration had made suggestions for logos which could go on cloth face masks that the CDC were proposing to distribute to millions of Americans. So... One of the logos the White House proposed, make America healthy again. So, in the end, the plan to distribute the masks fell through.
0: But, I mean, seriously? Hey, see that cardboard is making a big comeback. Did it ever go away? Oh, good point. OK, cardboard is back in style. Was it ever not? All uh, right, all right. Look, look, let me get on with this, will you? In Japan, cardboard is becoming popular as a cheap, lightweight tool in the fight against the second wave. All over the country it's being used as a divider between desks and schools and offices. I guess it kind of interrupts the moist breath zones. Firstly, yuck.
1: Secondly, I'd like one of those. I saw that picture of a classroom full of these tiny cardboard booths like an overcrowded election polling station.
0: Adam, you work at home, in a bedroom, on your own. Yeah, but
1: the booths look kind of cool and I've always kind of loved cardboard. I could tell. Yeah, I mean, who doesn't appreciate a nicely designed cardboard construction? The best part about moving house is that half day of origami origamis, you turn all the cardboard flat packs from the moving company into lovely new book boxes and tea chests and, and all that stuff.
0: I went to the cardboard cathedral in Christchurch once. Chalice. Email inbox.
1: All right, we've heard from Doug Jones, who has a suggestion for another coronavirus NZ investigation. And this one even fits right into the WTF
0: franchise. It's Where's the Freight? Good one, Doug. It does have a bit of a kicker. The full title is Where's the Freight? Brackets from AliExpress, which is the giant online retailer based in China.
1: Yeah, so Doug writes, Many of us have been ordering bits and bobs from AliExpress since the start of lockdown and are still waiting for parcels. NZ Post has confirmed to the public that they have delays internally, but where is the international
0: freight? Yeah, Doug gives some examples. One shipment which, according to his records, departed China on April 9, hasn't shown up in New Zealand. Another which made it to Singapore and departed there on May 25, still not here.
1: Doug says he suspects there's a huge stockpile of freight sitting in Auckland that hasn't been processed through customs. He sent us a link also to a New Zealand forum where people are discussing this. And there seem to be a lot of people with, or should that be, without missing parcels.
0: Yeah, in this forum there's a link to a story one of our colleagues, Rob Stockton, in February Remember February? Yeah, that long time ago before lockdown. Anyway, was, Rob was quoting New Zealand Post saying the suspension of many flights which carry mail and parcels out of China was contributing to hold ups and that people waiting for parcels from China should expect significant delays.
1: Hmm. But that was back in February. A lot has changed since then, and according to those records from Doug, the shipments were making it out of China. So where are they now? Plague playlist. In the past, we've had so many suggestions from listeners for Plague playlists that were usually spoilt for choice, but it feels kind of like coronavirus-related musical creativity is starting to wane. And if anyone is still writing hilarious tunes about being stuck in lockdown somewhere in the world, they're starting to feel distinctly off the pace here in New Zealand. But if we broaden the criteria just a wee bit, there's still some good stuff out there. So you'll remember, New Zealander Jack Buchanan did such an amazing job with the Ballad of COVID-19 and then Family Lockdown Boogie and then Who Stole the Cookie from the Cookie Jar that we kind of think of him as the Coronavirus NZ house band basically that nobody's told him. So anyway, just a minute ago I had a quick check to see what fresh musical miracles he has wrought and bingo, he has wrought a cracker. You know... It's not very virus but it does feature more of Jack's top-notch singing, dancing and video editing, plus a blink and you will miss it cameo from the original Family Lockdown Boogie Dances. And every sound you hear in the piece is made with some kitchen implement or other, from a microwave's beep to a fridge door slam.
0: Welcome to my kitchen, this is where I cook. A chef like me got no necessity for a recipe book
1: truly essential. You need complete selection of It's still a sleeper hit at present, just six and a half thousand hits on YouTube so far compared to the 3.3 million for the lockdown boogie, Which means viewers are missing out,
0: really. Yeah, but it's only just made it to coronavirus NZ. I mean, after today, that's gonna rock it to, I don't know, six thousand five hundred and eight, you reckon? I'd say so.
1: The New Zealand border's closed, right? No tourists, no relatives visiting, no international students, no business people flying to Queenstown to party for a weekend and call it a seminar. New Zealand Inc. is pretty much closed for business. And the only people still crossing the border are those last few stragglers, those Kiwis heading home to take shelter from a global pandemic. Well, almost, because it turns out there's also a teeny trickle of other people, non-Kiwis, who are also getting across the border for a range of special reasons. Now, stuff Senior Reporter Tom Hunt has been looking into this and he's found some pretty surprising stuff. He's on the line now. Hi Tom. Hi Adam, how are you going? Very well. So let's do this in order. When the, when the border closed in late March, New Zealanders were allowed to Keep coming home, but pretty much no one else, right? So, when did the government start making exemptions for non New Zealanders, and and how do those exemptions work?
3: Okay, so it was uh, April 21st when uh, Phil Twyford was given the power to grant these special exemptions. Um, So far, last count he had allowed 201. A good chunk of those are for film workers. I think there's 56 at last count. And they've got to meet some pretty strict criteria. They've got to really bring some real economic value to the New Zealanders. They have to be doing jobs that Kiwis can't do. And, you know, it has to be time critical. So there are very tight restrictions. We don't know what these 56 film workers do apart from the producer, John Landau, and uh, director James Cameron. Of course, we know what they do, and uh, John Landau sent a tweet tweet out saying that he's here, so we know they're here, but the rest of them, who knows? Right. Okay, so broadly, before we get on to
1: the blue aliens, what kind of people have been let in? What are some of the examples that you've come across?
3: Okay. So strangest one has to be some expert to help set up a mushroom farm. Right. But the biggest block of people are, you know, the boring ones, the infrastructure workers in Wellington, for example, we know there is a group of Germans let in to fix our broken wastewater pipe. So pretty dull stuff there. Uh, what else have we got? There's, um, there's various agricultural, those kind of primary industry type things. There's, uh, group let in to, to bring a defence force
1: vessel in. Just quickly, in defence of the German pipe repairmen, I'm sure they find their work exciting and uh, thoroughly non-boring. But... Oh, I'm sure they do. <laughs> so that's some of the people who have been able to get across the border, but uh, there are there are some interesting cases of people who haven't been able to get across. I'm especially interested in this guy, Nathan Parrott, who you talked to. Can, can tell us a bit about him? Mm.
3: Yeah, well, uh, Nathan's an Australian, Sandy's a New Zealander, they got married in April last year over in Waiheke Island, had a honeymoon through New Zealand, went down to, to Queenstown, did all that. He had a job back in America, so he took off back there. Since then, they've seen each other for a total of two weeks since they got married, one week when she went over there, one week he came back here, so they've barely seen each other. She's about to have a child, and he just hasn't been able to get back in, which, you know, is... There's many, many people in the situation, of course, but we happened to do a story on on this one. After being told by immigration that he had no right of appeal, the rejection to be allowed in, and wasn't even allowed to email them back. I was interested in this business about the email. Since
1: when is anyone able to be told not to send an email. If I want to write an email to the government, I just write it, don't I?
3: Well, indeed, indeed. Yeah, so I guess there's no law stopping them emailing back, but it's just saying, don't do it. Um, you know, I mean, I've got full sympathy for the immigration officials here. they have got very tight rules put around them. You know, they've been kind of given these tight rules with very little wriggle room. But um, even to have it, just having no right of appeal seems quite perverse in some ways. Yeah, so what's happened
1: since you first reported about the fact that he would like to get in and can't, and it seems a
3: little bit rough when your wife's about to have a baby? Immigration uh, got back to me last night, and presumably back to Nathan, to say that they'll be looking at his case again on kind of compassionate grounds, so that's a win for him. We don't know what they will decide at the end, but, you know, the, the compassionate grounds were, of course, that his wife is six and a half months pregnant, and, you know... Probably got a good reason for wanting to come back, as I'm sure many other people stuck overseas were in the same boat. Yeah, I mean, do you reckon
1: Immigration New Zealand would be even thinking about reconsidering his case if it hadn't been you know reported in the paper and on on stuff
3: no is <laughs> um, a short answer I mean they had as you said as I said you know I'd said he can't appeal etc so I think that was pretty much the end of the road for Nathan the pressing thing is since the story's run and actually since the first uh, stories started running on uh, Sunday about the avatar workers there's been a kind of flood of emails of people in similar situations you know Nathan's not alone he's just alone in the sense that he got media coverage so there are many more of them It's also brought forward other industries who are saying look if the Avatar crew can come
0: in here what about us? You've got the America's Cup people you've got lots of industries saying this doesn't seem fair to us don't you?
3: Yeah, I mean, as Phil Twyford actually said the other day, he he's approved every application that's come to his desk from the people at MB. But 90% of applications that go to MB never make it to Phil Twyford's desk, they get it rejected there. And then, so if we say 200 made it to his desk, so that's uh, not very good at math, it's what, 1,800 mm-hmm. that, uh, that got rejected. And, you know, we don't know for sure what those are, but the America's Cup crew... Which is apparently being considered still, but there'll be many other people there who are just, you know, wondering why they couldn't get in.
0: In general, do you reckon New Zealand officials have been transparent and honest about who's been allowed to get through the closed border? I mean, would we even know about the Avatar crew if you hadn't broken that story for stuff on Sunday?
3: Uh, I think would have found out eventually about the Avatar crew because the fact of the matter is, you know, as I said, John Landau tweeted about it when he <laughs> got here, so that would have found out. But but um, in terms of transparency, I mean, what the hell is this other film that you know? There's two film crews are allowed on. We, we've got no idea what what this other film is still. Um, despite repeated requests, um, I think I've heard rumours of every film under the sun that it could be. So this has been, you know, people allowed into New Zealand, despite you know many other people unable to reunite with families, and we still can't find out who they are. The film commission said they're hoping to tell us soon, but it's got to hurt a little bit for people unable to you know get back to their parents, husbands, wives to find out a mystery film crew's allowed him and they're not. What What movie do you hope it is, even if you don't know what it is yet? Oh, I just hope it's a good movie. <laughs> I don't care. <laughs> um, I, I mean, I'm pretty sure it's a smaller movie than Avatar, because I understand Avatar, and in terms of in New Zealand employment employment's about 400 people odd. Um, it's very rough figures. And this one's employing about 200 people, so take from that what you will. You know, it's got to be a, an overseas production, so I'd say It's highly unlikely it's something like a Jane Campion film or something which tend to be made in New Zealand with New Zealand people. It's one that evidently can't go ahead without some people coming from overseas. So who knows what it is? The Wellington film industry is a very closed shop and most films they make there we never even hear about. So who knows?
0: With the film crews in particular, they're coming here from Los Angeles, which is a serious COVID-19 hot zone. What's being done to make sure these people don't bring us a plane load of virus?
3: Look, I understand that they were quarantining before they've come over. I've got no reason to doubt they've been following all the proper... Protocols before they came in, and indeed, when they you know they got here they 've been in their rooms, going through the quarantine individual rooms at the q t hotel down there and i mean it 's quite a hilarious thing to go and watch from outside because you can just see all these people kind of popping out to their balconies every five minutes just to you know get outside for a bit. but in saying that, there has been other guests in the adjoining apartment block who weren 't told about it, and one was literally walking through the reception area as they all arrived. So, you know, there's probably a very small chance that they have brought COVID-19 into New Zealand, I'd say, because, as I say, they quarantined and all that kind of stuff. But, you know, there's uh, people wondering why they weren't told that there's guests sharing a facility, you know, who have come from such a COVID-19 hotspot when, you know, we're down to, I think, one active case here in New Zealand. Mm. So look, it, it's clear that
1: the rules aren't entirely clear. Uh, and of course, there'll always be some weird cases that don't fit the rules, like Nathan Parrott, whose case is being looked at again. Mm. So do we have any idea of how long this slightly ad hoc system is going to remain
3: in place where you have to wait for a thumbs up from Phil Twyford? To be honest, I don't know how long this, this situation will last, but one can only imagine it will have to ha- be like this in some capacity while the rest of the world's got a serious uh, COVID problem. Tom, one,
0: one last thing. How has how have your stories gone down with the film industry? Do you reckon you'll get invites to film premieres still?
3: Um, I think they've got pretty tough skin I I can't imagine them being too fast I haven't had any kickback from the film industry yet but I think uh, they've got other things to worry about and probably aren't too worried about a bit of reporting a little New Zealand James Cameron, I've dealt with him before a couple of times I've always found him a pretty straight up nice guy they are just working with the rules that they have been given so I I don't think they're really to blame I mean, any industry that got that kind of sway and could get in would probably do exactly the same thing
0: Absolutely Absolutely. All right, well, uh, we'll look out for you on a red carpet sometime soon when those things can happen again. Indeed. Thank you very much for joining us, Tom Hunt.
3: Hey, thank you both.
0: That's the Coronavirus NZ podcast for Thursday,
1: the 4th of June. I'm Adam Dudding. He's Eugene Bingham. Thank you to Brittany Deguara, Tom Hunt, Alex Liu, Catherine
0: George, Patrick Crutzen, and Carol Hirschbaum. You can find us on all the podcast platforms, anywhere you want. And if you want to get in touch with us, you can email viruspod at stuff.co.nz. If you want to support Stuff's journalism by making a contribution to a locally owned media organisation, go to the link on the Stuff website, stuff.co.nz. We'll be back on Tuesday.
1: Bless.